You know, in high school, I don't know if you remember, but uh, at least in my high school, we would read plays from time to time. You know, it came to literature section and you would get these plays and you'd each be assigned a part. And and I remember getting those parts and I'd love to ham it up, you know, and and we didn't necessarily take it too seriously. Anybody remember doing those plays in high school, Shakespeare and stuff, right? We did. Yeah. Well, I remember some of those plays and some of those lines really stick with you. Remember the play Julius Caesar? I remember having the part and I remember going, Et tu, Brute, then fall, Caesar. And I remember, you know, falling out of my desk and, and, oh, oh, thank you, thank you. (laughs) And I remember Shakespeare's Macbeth. After Lady Macbeth committed murder and she was trying literally to, to wash the guilt of the crime from her hands. And she uttered that famous line, Out, expletive deleted spot. Out, I say. I remember, though, reading that play and thinking about it, um, because it did impact me some. And I was struck with the fact that there are some stains of guilt that seem, seem impossible to remove by human effort. Scrub as you can. Through goodness or your sorrow or your personal efforts. And you do all those things and the stain still remains. There seems to be that some stains just stubbornly refuse human cleansing. Have you ever felt that? Past actions that you may have done that have hurt someone so grievously that you feel the guilt of it, not just before them, but before God. And and you just wonder, can can I really be forgiven of that? Maybe thoughts and things that have occurred and and, and maybe a betrayal that's occurred to you. And you kind of go, can I ever forgive anyone of that? Those stains that are so deep because of the wounds of someone or because of the wound that you've done. That you scrub with all that you can. And you just wonder, can it ever truly be forgiven? Well, Jesus told a story that I believe is, is, is equal to any Shakespearean play. And this two-part story of hers is, has the, all the elements of a great drama that you would see in a Shakespeare. It has action and tension and comic relief and character development and intrigue and all those different things. Jesus was a master storyteller. And, and sometimes I think we forget that. Um, I was reading just the other day of the message that my, uh, the, the, who was the dean of the seminary from Trinity Seminary where I graduated, I was reading a message that he gave to the college that I graduated from. And as I was reading it, I, I, I read, it's two pages, and I'm thinking to myself, there's no way. I've, I've heard this guy way too many times. It wasn't contained in two pages. Right? So I'm reading through this thing, and I'm going, there's jokes here. I've heard some of this. There's some jokes in here that are missing. There's some color in here that's missing. And, and so then I went up and read, you know that little part you never read up here? And it says, you know, gives his name and says, the following is an abridgment. I sometimes think that when we read the Scripture, we don't realize the incredible power and, and the ability to tell a story that our Savior Jesus had. And when he told this story, I believe it was captivating. And so I thought, let's put it into a 21st century context. And found in Matthew 18, verses 21 through verse 35, you'll find a story 
that Jesus told. It's truly a great drama. Could have been written into a great screenplay. And it has two acts. Act one is the sentence. In fact, as you follow Act one, everything up to the end of Act one is about this guy and his being sentenced for a crime that he commits. And all the action around that. And you begin with scene one. Scene one is in the auditor's office. And the auditor is going through the books. And he stumbles upon a minor discrepancy. Like pulling a thread. This minor, you know, this minor inconsistency that he found unravels into this complex, sordid scheme. And on a hunch that just maybe something is amiss, he discovers a secret. Somebody's been stealing from the boss. He kind of is thinking this through, and he knows he needs to be somewhat quiet about it, so he shares it with his wife when he goes home, tells a couple trusted associates that he works with, knowing that what if he found is true, it will send shockwaves through the business community. I mean, it's the kind of stuff that will become headline news. It's the kind of stuff that will send 60-minute investigators at your door. It's the news story that won't just pass away in a couple days that will go on for months. And whoever is behind it, he realizes, is going to face major criminal charges in the maximum sentence. And so following the threat of embezzlement, he follows it and it unwinds at the feet of the CFO. And so with all the facts in hand, this accountant brings the books to the owner and to the board of directors. And he opens it for them all to see. And to their amazement, what they thought first was rumored to be just a small embezzlement scheme turns out to be a major criminal offense, kind of of Enron activity level. I mean, we're not talking about a little thing of millions of dollars, but billions of dollars. Think Bernie Madoff. In the days of Jesus, the amount that Jesus used in the story was comparable to the amount collected for taxes by Rome for all the provinces of Israel. This was national-sized debt offense against the owner. Staggered by the amount this one man has robbed from the country company, the, the board of directors advised the owner and CEO to throw the book at him. Go for it all. I mean, this guy doesn't need to learn a lesson. He needs to pay. And as it gets out, anger and disgust run through the company. People hear about it in the community, they're just aghast at what this man has done. And when finally the man gets to notice that he's suspected of embezzlement and he's called to the court, he's just panic-stricken. You can imagine what he's thinking. He, he now knows it's, it's out there in the open. Everyone has heard about it. He realizes the mess he's made with his life. There's no more denial. There's no more wishful thinking. There's no hoping that somehow it won't ever catch up with him. But he finds out that, that his greed and his lust will cost not just himself and his pride, but it will cost immensely his wife and his children and his children's children. It has cost the company. It has cost the community. In reality, it hits him like a, a ton of bricks. And there's no way out. In court... He'll finally face the verdict which he denied would ever occur. So now you go to scene two. It's Jesus is a good storyteller. When you think about this, the rudiments of this story. So you go to scene two. 
And he's before the board of directors. Before he goes to the court, the CEO tells the board of directors he wants a meeting and he wants to call this guy and he wants to meet with him before they ever go to court. They're a little bit worried, not sure the board of directors are, but so prior to the court appearance, he's summoned before the board of directors and the owner standing is right before him as they're seated and he's standing before him. They open the books. They let him see the hard facts for himself and he's hit right between the eyes with the immensity of his of his deed and crime. And he's speechless. He's trembling because he's guilty of absconding billions of dollars. He can't even get his mind around the amount. No way he knows could he ever repay it. You know, in Christ's day, what would happen to someone when they would be found of a crime like that? They would be imprisoned for the rest of their life. But not just that person, but so would the whole family, wife and kids, and not just the wife and kids, the rest of them would be also children's children until they could pay back the debt. And Christ tells that in this story. Here's the guy standing before them with the terrible consequences of his sin. There's no way out of this ocean of debt. And as this self-made, hard-driving businessman stands before the owner and the board of directors, a thought flashes into his mind. At first, he dismisses it off as it's just absolutely ludicrous, crazy, that he, that he would even think this, so he didn't even entertain it, but it came back in again, and he entertained it just a little bit longer. You know, in those few just minutes that you're standing before someone, these things are going on, and it's going on in his mind. He thought, maybe, just maybe, the thought goes and plays out like this. Just maybe if I did this, and he does, he falls flat on his face on the floor before the owner, and he cries out, weeping, saying, please have mercy on me. Please forgive me. I'm wrong. I've hurt you. I've hurt this business, this company. I know it costs all kinds of, all kinds of hurt and pain. I, I've hurt my family and my kids. And, and he's weeping and he's crying out and he's, he's feeling the pain of all that he's done. And he's saying to him, I'll, I'll try and repay it. I'll do whatever you want. But please, just, just have mercy. And the board of directors, they can hardly believe their eyes. I mean, this is like, you know, this guy's flat on the floor. How humiliating, how disgusting, how ludicrous. They're thinking, how in the world can this guy ever, ever imagine that this little ploy, this little histrionic little act is going to work? And they're just kind of inwardly laughing. They're thinking, who does this guy think he's fooling? But if they look surprised when this cheat fell on the floor, they were completely thrown for a loop. When the owner's gaze of judgment began to melt into a face of understanding, concern, and compassion. They're, they're no doubt thinking, don't fall for this. You, you can't be serious. And but before anyone can say anything, the owner calmly says to the guy, stand up. This criminal stands up before him. And then with pity and emotion in his voice, the owner says, you've learned your lesson. I won't press charges. You can go free. I'll pay it. Your debt's canceled. The CFO of Embezzler is just stunned. He can't believe his ears. He can't believe his eyes as he's looking at the owner. He's thinking this is too good to be true. 
he blurts out his first thoughts. He says, well, what must I do? What, what can I do to pay? And the guy says, no, he's, he's saying, no, you don't have to do anything. He says, but there, and he's thinking to himself, there must be strings attached to this. And the, the owner says, no, you're free. You're completely free. And he, he continues to bring up some other things. And he's just suspicious. And the owner reassures him again and again. No, no, it's all taken care of. You're free. It completely. I paid for I will. I will take the hit. And, and the guy's just overwhelmed. Now he's, he's weeping for a whole other reason. Because he just saw his whole life going straight to hell. Being turned around completely. That now he can live it and he's free completely of it all. He can be, he, and he's thinking to himself, he can walk out of here and his kids and his family and everything else, they're set free. And he jumps across the table and he hugs the owner. Can you see the scene? He's just grabbing him and he's, he's so excited. He's saying, thank you. I cannot believe it. And then he grabs the hands of each of the board of directors and he's wildly shaking their hands as he's going along. And he's shaking their hands. Thank you so much. And he, as he backs out of the room, the tears streaming down his face, he, he's saying, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I just cannot believe it. His mountain-sized debt's been canceled. His crimes are forgiven. The spot that he thought he had to do something to get it out is out. Payment's been made. This guilt that has been growing over the years as he would continually be feeling the guilt of what he's been doing. And it continued to build until the moment that it broke and it crushed him. He was heartbroken. He was completely impoverished in his own sense of of being as he realized what he had done. Now it has rolled off his back at the sounds of the words that come from the owner's mouth that says, Your debt is canceled. And he's free and he's as light as a feather. And he's, he leaves and act one closes with this man running in celebration that his debt is canceled and the curtain drops. Isn't that cool? Now, in, in, in every good play, there's an intermission. And intermissions are for a purpose. So before you guys go and leave and get something to drink and come back in here, Intermissions are for a purpose. Because what happens in Act 1 is, is of such an extent, it has such an impact, that it, it, it needs to stop so that you can begin to take in what has just occurred. So you can process for a moment before you move on. And so I want to process this with you. Jesus is making a simple point after Act 1. And that is this, that every person on the face of this earth, everybody, has it racked up a mountain-sized moral debt before God? Before the owner, CEO, father, creator of the universe, every one of us stands with Bernie Madoff kind of crimes. And so Jesus is sharing with everyone who's standing there, yes, there will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day you have to give an account You will stand before God for what you have done. And when the books are audited and our sins are made completely clear and everything's out in the open, our outright disobedience and rebellion to even the neglect of the things that we should have done because we knew that we should have done them will all be open before God. Every offense, every crime will be listed. Every lie, every shading of the truth, every hateful thought, Every malicious judgment, every lust, every bit of greed, 
every broken promise, every envious desire. Should I go on? Every loose-lipped word. In fact, if you look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus says, But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Itemized out, we stand before God with a huge mountain-sized debt of sin. And so great will a personal debt be before God that when we stand before Him, we will be floored by the facts of our sin. In fact, I shared this once earlier um, in, in my ministry here. I remember when I was in college and I had a traffic violation and I, I knew I was right, right? So I was going to go fight it. Never done this before. It's Cook County, Illinois. And, and there's 40-some people in front of me. I'm like 43 of 44. Every one of them, every one of them had their charges um, not dropped, but actually commuted. They were, every one of them had their ch- charges uh, sustained by the judge. So I'm thinking, you know what, no way. So I stand up before him, and, and this is a human judge, and I'm believing I'm right. I can hardly open my mouth. I can hardly get the words out. I'm trembling. Imagine standing at the end before God, your judge and creator, and and trying to in some way say, "Ah, not too bad. Why should you be offended by anything in my heart? And what's really interesting is the way that God, He loves us so much, He's actually hardwired us to forget 90% of the bad things that we do or have had happen to our lives, in our lives. Do you know that? Nine out of ten things that you have done in the past day, you will have, you will forget. You won't even notice. Because if you did, it would so burden you down, you couldn't live. And so, Jesus' point is so, so simple. Because we can live like the embezzler in illusion of denial when we come to the realization of what our sin costs God and costs other people. When we realize how how much we have hurt that other person rather than just trying to take care of ourselves and and just get by it so we feel better. When we recognize, when I recognize when I hurt my wife, the pain that it really causes. When I hurt my daughter, the pain it hurts, it causes. when When I hurt one of you, the pain and hurt it causes. It should do something in me. And then, when someone lets you go, when God lets you go, and Jesus' point is this, our debt is no different than this crook. There is only one way out. And we can try and concoct all kinds of schemes, doing good things, becoming religious and giving money and serving in certain causes and doing all this stuff. But Isaiah shoots a hole in every human effort that we think can make up the difference. In fact, this is a, when I was reading this verse, it's a good fall verse, okay? He says, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Now catch this. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our, our sins sweep us away. Jesus came to clear up the confusion. He stood and told the story. He said, guess what? Here we stand before God. And here is this God who takes our offense. And through 
through my life, Jesus, I will pay for that and I will give you and offer you forgiveness. It's yours completely free. No strings attached. Grace means it's not dependent on you. It's merely dependent on the fact that you will trust the goodness and the grace and the mercy of the one who gives it. Can you imagine? Put yourself in the feet of that embezzler as he stands there and he's got billions of dollars of debt and he's reasoning with the person and the judge says, just trust me. And I just want to say to you, if you're in this place and you, you know and you feel this stain and this sin, God through His Holy Spirit, through Jesus in this message is saying, just put your faith and confidence, not in yourself, not in what you can do, but in what God through Jesus Christ on the cross made payment so that you can have a relationship with Him. And it's completely, 100% fully by His grace and not by anything in you. And you can walk out of here free. Spot is gone. Now, you would think Jesus would stop there. But what I think is interesting is you move to Act 2. And I've titled it The Unexpected Twist. Because I think they're listening to this and, 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 and they're kind of processing this. And, and some of the people who recognize and understand their sin and, and realize they're sinners because everyone in the culture and the church and everybody else says you are this way and there's this judgment and they recognize it and they come and, and this is good news for them. There are some others who are listening and they're going, oh, this is not, I mean, they should pay something. And usually it's people who feel somewhat good about what they're doing. And, and so Jesus comes to the end of this and, and, and and Act 2 is a lot shorter than the first act, the way it is like in most plays. And the ending is profound as you see this twist played out. Where could Jesus go from here? Well, remember, the embezzler, he walks out, he's a free man. You get the picture, the, the scene opens, and here's the embezzler. He's walking down the road, he's whistling, he's singing, he's excited, he's free. He cannot believe it. And he's thinking and he's processing as he's processing. He's thinking through, I cannot believe the debt. And as he's thinking about debt, he begins to think about Joe, and he remembers Joe owes him something. And as he's thinking about Joe, he's going, you know, Joe should have paid me that four or five months ago. I forgot all about that. And as he's walking, he remembers you know, just if I turn this way, I go right to Joe's house. And so he decides to go pay Joe a visit. He walks to Joe's house. He knocks on the door. He talks to Joe. He says, Joe, you know what? You, you, know, you remember the debt you owe me? And, and Joe goes, yeah, yeah, I do remember. I remember I was supposed to get it to you about three, four months ago. I, I, I know it's, it's a couple thousand dollars. I, I will get it to you as soon as I'm able to do it. And, and he looks at him and goes, what do you mean you're going to get it to me? You owe it to me now. I want it right now. He says, but I can't, I can't. And he grabs Joe by the neck and he starts to choke Joe. Joe is being choked and he's going, I'll get it to you, I promise. And he's going, no, I want this now. You owe it to me. If you don't give it to me by the, by the next few hours, I'm calling the authorities and you're in jail. You're in, I'm, I'm sending you to prison. I'm throwing the book at you. Well, later that night, Joe's in prison. What he doesn't realize is as he was choking Joe, one of the board of directors happens to live in that area is walking by. One of the board of directors hears almost everything that's happening, sees the choking going on, hears about the fact that he's got a couple thousand dollars that he owes this guy. And this guy cannot believe his mind. His board of directors are going, this is crazy. He comes home, he tells his wife, and he decides the next day he's going to go tell the owner. He tells the owner the next day the owner calls in this embezzler and he says, listen, buddy, 
This is amazing to me. And he reads the facts. He says, this is what I've been told. This is what I hear. And, and he goes, how could you, for a measly couple thousands of dollars, imprison and choke and do all this stuff to this person who owed you just that little bit when I let you go of this incredible mountain-sized, Bernie-made-of, Enron-sized debt? And the owner's angry. He's disgusted. And he turns the man over to the authorities who are standing in the room to execute the same justice that this guy demanded of Joe. Catch that again. He's angry. He's disgusted. And he hands him over to the authorities to execute the same justice that he demands of others. And with that, Act 2 ends. The curtain falls with the guy being hauled off to prison for life. Now they're all standing around going, whoa. And there's some who that was like a knife in their heart. They're standing in their self-righteous judgment, judging people. And the point Jesus is making is this. Forgiven people forgive. Plain and simple. Forgiven people forgive. They're peacemakers. They do all they can to bring about healing in relationships so that they can be one. As far as it is possible with them, they seek to live in peace with all around them. The point that Jesus is making is as clear as can be. And the people standing there, as you hear it today, can hear the same thing. Look, if you have been forgiven and been given the experience of being released of all that you have before God as a record, how in the world can you not release someone else and give them that same experience of forgiveness? Forgiven people forgive. If you look at verse 32, it says, Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. He calls him wicked at this point. He said, I canceled all the debt that, of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? If God has forgiven you a mountain-sized moral debt, how can you demand payment from someone for the few sins they've committed against you? How can you, after coming to grips with what you owe God, walk out and still hold a grudge against anyone? And if you do, you obviously, you haven't understood what God has forgiven you. What I think is interesting here, if you look at verse 35, he says, this is how the Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother. You can underline this from your heart. This is exactly how the Father will treat each of you unless you've forgiven your brother from your heart. I think what he's saying here is this. The, this, this just, the judgment you execute upon others is the judgment you will live with. The judgment that you hold others to is the judgment you live under. 
your self-imposed judgment that, that puts you out of relationship with others. And the reality is that you're really out of relationship with God. As much as you hear stories, as much as you assent in your mind, as much as you think in some way that you're agreeing to this, if you don't in your heart know what it means to truly be forgiven, to experience this incredible sense of relief that God has taken the blackness, the darkness of my offense, which I have had against Him and which I have had against other people. And when you understand this and you recognize that it is Him and by His grace and His mercy alone, you have this wild idea that maybe He would forgive you and then He does. The fact that you experience it real here means it will be real in the lives of other people through you. Jesus loved to talk to not just people who were lost and far from Him, who, who knew they were. He loved to talk to people who came to church every Sunday. And every Sunday they heard this incredible, and they said, yes, God, you love me, but then held in their hearts unforgiveness and didn't give it to other people. Held in their hearts judgment. And Jesus basically says, with the judgment that you give, you will hold under yourself. Not just for now, but for eternity. What I think is interesting is that Jesus makes a second point here that a, time, a lot of times I think we miss. Not only are forgiven people forgive, but forgiven people are free. As I said last week, unforgiveness imprisons you. I, I chose to spend two weeks in this. I wrestled this last week of, of whether to go into another part of this, but I just felt like, no, God, we need to hear this again. Unforgiveness imprisons you. You remain bound. You are trapped in the past to a person's injury. Forgiveness is the gift you give not only to them, but you give to yourself. It frees you. It frees you from their offense and from their injury. It frees you from the poison that can, can continue to hold you. And, and you. As you give that sacrifice and you take the cost of that and you lay it as an offering to God and you say, God, you deal with it. You're the one who will need to deal with this person. It's not mine to be a judge any longer. I ask now that you bring healing into my heart and restore in me whatever it needs to be that I might let go of this that has been done against me. Verse 34 is interesting. He says, in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay all he owed. Now, that was true in Jesus' day. But I, I don't think he was just using a cultural thing here. I think he was making a real point to people, and that is this. In the King James Version, it says, and the Lord, his Lord was wroth, which is the past tense of the verb wrath, which means he was really tweaked and ticked off. And he delivered him to the tormentors, which is what that word really means. I was going to preach on Genesis chapter 4. I was wrestling with this about the Cain and Abel story and about the relationship and relational healing around that. But one of the things that, that is true about that story, and I'll just kind of give you a little snippet of some of that I studied on, that word, it says at one point that God comes to, to Cain and he starts talking to Cain about his, his attitude towards his brother and this out of relationshipness that he has with his brother Abel. And he says to him, Cain, watch yourself. The direction you're going, where you're heading, sin is, is crouching at the door. It's ready to overtake you. You need to master it. And what's really interesting, that word sin, if you, in, in the Hebrew, there's some other Akkadian, there's an Akkadian cognate, there's a word in another language that they often use for it, which is the word for demon. The idea is there is in this sin the opening of the door for demonic interference that can come into your life, that through that open door, it can begin to torment you and charge you. And Jesus goes, I don't want you to live that way. 
I want you to be free. Because unforgiveness only imprisons you. And yet it will open the door to be tormented. You see, we, when we're hurt or offended, what happens is anger is one of the results. Because anger is, is in many ways, an emotion that's a protective emotion. And it needs to be released to protect us for the moment. But when anger continues to breed itself within you, it either becomes active outward or it becomes passive inward. And an active form of anger is the stuff that most good people won't do. You don't seek revenge. You don't retaliate. We always kind of think to ourselves, how in the world could the guy get so upset and so angry that he would plot to go kill the person or he'd take a knife and stab him out of passion? What in the, that's anger outward. But you know how anger often shows up in the lives of most people? It is passive in resentment and bitterness. It's just underground. And I think this is what Jesus is alluding to here. You're being locked up. You're being locked up in your own anger. And your own anger will torment you. Your own anger in resentment will begin to eat away at you. You can self-diagnose resentment in this way. There are signs. For instance, just think about some of these things. It's not always the case, but check these out. Resentment sometimes shows up when you fake happiness with a person and you cover your real feelings. Or you speak sarcastically. Or you demean the person. Sometimes it shows up in depression and despondency. Sometimes it shows up you become angry for no reason. Sometimes it shows up in nightmares or daydreams about a person that you're really upset about. And resentment becomes most powerful when it's towards someone you're intimate with or have been intimate with. And it is an emotionally debilitating condition that when unresolved can have a variety of negative results on the person experiencing it. Resentment does not have any direct negative effects on the person being resented. Catch that? Resentment versus anger that's outward. Resentment or anger inward does not have any direct negative effects on the person being resented, save for the fact it destroys your relationship with them. Harboring resentment and bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping it kills the other person. One veteran missionary said it this way, bitterness destroys more Christians than immorality. It's an acid that destroys its own container. I'm going to just close with a story of forgiveness that Beth Moorheader, who's a consular on staff, shared with me. She said her son-in-law, Corey, is a CPA with Larson Allen, a public accounting firm, and he works with a health care division's where he often goes and audits hospitals, nursing homes, and treatment centers. And recently, Corey was working on an audit of the Cancer Treatment Centers of America called CTCA. And when Corey walked in to meet the CEO, the man was reading the Washington Post. And he told Corey the story he was reading was something that their company was involved in, right, in the Washington Post there. He said what was really interesting about the story is that they left out the best part. They didn't tell the best part in the Washington Post story. And he said, so do you mind? I'd love to tell you the rest of the story. Corey said, okay. He said the family that we were involved with was a wealthy couple from Mexico. The husband had been kidnapped and held for ransom, a pretty typical thing happening in some of those Latin American countries. And while he was being held captive, his wife was diagnosed with breast cancer and went to the CTCA for treatment. So her husband's now, he's being held for ransom. She is diagnosed with breast cancer. She goes to the CTCA. 
At the CTCA, they use all kinds of um, different medical treatments from radiation, chemotherapy, medication. In addition to that, they use nutrition. They also have therapy and counseling. They, they get people in and they start talking about what's going on in relationships. And at one point in the counseling, the woman asked her, she said, are, are you needing to forgive anyone? And she realized that she had not forgiven the people who were holding her husband captive. So she made there at that point, right in the midst of that counseling session, she said, I would... I will choose to forgive them. And so they did it. And as soon as she spoke the words of forgiveness, she felt something change in her breast. A scan was ordered and they found no trace of cancer. And sometime after that, the, husband's, the woman's husband was released. Folks, Jesus was really smart. He wasn't just a good Shakespearean storyteller. He knew because he was God in flesh, how this universe works. And he knows that if we have been forgiven by God, we forgive. And if we've been forgiven by God, we forgive and we're free. We're not just free from that injury. We're actually free from continually injuring ourselves. And one of the things that Jesus said that I thought was remarkable, he said at one point to people, he said, you know what, if you're coming to church with a gift and you have something against someone, You've come to the wrong place to meet with the wrong person. So important to exist to Jesus, he said, get out of church and find the person you need to be right with. It's really kind of a neat thing. I'm going to introduce you to Dave Scott, who um, a couple weeks ago, after one of the messages um, shared with our worship team, that God had been working in his heart when he listened to the message and, and from the message he wrote this song that I thought would be just a great song for us just to just let the words of this sink into your heart.